Welcome to Snacks Weekly on Data Science. This podcast is all about making data science and machine learning knowledge accessible and less intimidating. Today is December 25th, 2023, the Christmas Day. For those who celebrate the holiday, I wish you a Merry Christmas. In this special occasion, I'm going to make our episode a little bit different as well. Recently, I did an interview on another podcast, The Data Scientist Show, hosted by Daliana Liu. In that interview, I shared my thoughts about the focus differences of machine learning engineers and product data scientists. I also talked about some projects I worked on at Uber and LinkedIn, as well as some other topics, such as why I transitioned from an individual contributor into a manager, and the cultural differences I experienced in various tech companies. I enjoyed the conversation with Daliana on the show and appreciate for her approval for me to redistribute the podcast here. I hope you enjoy the content. Now, here we go. On the product data science part, I think the fun part is about when you identify something which others didn't expect and you don't even expect. This is like the eureka moments that you see something that because you look into the data, you have the right understanding, you found it. And then this is important uh, for people to make decisions and maybe the whole strategy needs to be changed. So that is uh, very fun and uh, very enjoyable. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Data Scientist Show. Today we have Pan Wu. Pan is a senior manager of data science at Meta. After finishing his PhD from Duke University, he started his career in machine learning engineering and applied science. Later, he focused more on product data science. Before Meta, he worked in TrueCar, Uber, and LinkedIn. Pan has a decade-long expertise in machine learning and data science. Today, we'll talk about why he moved from machine learning to product data science, project he worked on at Uber, LinkedIn, and Meta, how he compares the culture among those companies, and how he transitioned from IC to manager. If you like the show, subscribe to the channel, give me a five-star review, and leave a comment. Welcome to the show, Pan. Thank you, Daliana, for the invitation. It's my pleasure to be here. So many data scientists want to transition into machine learning engineering roles. The title carries prestige in the current era of AI and machine learning engineers typically have higher salaries, but you moved in the opposite direction from machine learning engineering to product data science, a role that some people believe to be a glorified rebranding of data analysts. So some people might find this transition a little bit counterintuitive. Can you tell us why you moved from machine learning engineering to product data science? Yeah, uh, I think this is more about the MLE type of work uh, versus data science of work, which is most of the difference. Because speaking about the role, different companies, they have definitions differently. Some of the data, data science in a company is doing machine learning work. So that's the reason. Let's focus on the role first. So for the MLE type of the work, 
It is more about design algorithms and develop machine learning solutions to address specific problem. So that is what I consider as a machine learning engineering type of work. Well, on the data sciences part, it is more about how to help the company make better decisions using the power of data through either analytics, statistics, or like experimentation or machine learning. So that is sort of different type of work or focus difference. And by seeing like transition from the MLE type to the data science, it's more about the interest change in terms of previously my focus area is more about looking deep into the developing ML model. And later my interest is more shift toward addressing the business problem and using different tools to solve the problems. So mm -hmm. from that perspective, I view this is more like a focus transition. Uh, mm. And that's how my decision was made on that. Gotcha. And we'll dive into more on the project you worked on later. And some audience also perceive a product data science role as quote unquote less technical. What do you think about it? So if you could give some examples about the skill set you need as a machine learning engineer versus uh, product data scientist or data science generalist, yeah. how do you compare those two? Yeah, so probably it's better to leverage some examples to shed light about sure. what is the different type of work of MLE mm -hmm. or as a data scientist. So yeah. MLE type, as I said, is more about develop a, a solution or ML solution to address the problem. Let's take one example about how my work in Uber looks like. At one yeah. period of time, I work as a risk department of the Uber data science team. So over there, basically our role is to combat those uh, fraudulent activities happening on the platform. And if you may remember a few years ago, where Uber has a lot of incentive and promotion sending out, there is a set of people which we call frosters. They're trying to use the loopholes to gamble the system to get the incentives out for their own benefits without benefiting the platform, without helping others. So that's sort of the problem we're trying to address. And as MLE, one of the project is how to develop a machine learning model to detect if the activity is happening. And one type of this sort of incentive fraud is that there is a collusion happening, meaning that there is a fake rider trying to call for a fake driver. And then if they match, they get the incentive and also the promotion. And our machine learning solution is how to predicting that happening. So we look at the different behaviors of the user and the driver and how they pair up. We develop the features and then like developing the models to deploy that into the dispatch system. And then that problem is tackled. So that is the typical work of how machine learning type of work looks like. The other more on the data science part of work is more about how do we use data to make the right decision? Uh, I'll take one example of the work. It was first, sort of first work I joined the industry. So in this part, it is about the search engine optimization or search engine marketing, meaning that you want to make a bidding on Google search so that Google will, wherever there is a search happening about this product, then your company size surface up the most. So this is my first company. And then by looking at the data about what keywords we were using to get the people click, then we identified there is a set of keywords, which is very underutilized. It has the best performance in terms of the 
conversion rates, but we only have a few of those. So through that study, kind of a data science study or exploration, you can easily identify some gold mines to, to uncover, and that will drive business value. So that's sort of a type of work of the, the data science work. So I think that's gotcha. uh, partly onto the question about MRE type and uh, yeah. So my title has always been data scientist, and there are different teams in Amazon where my role is more like a machine learning engineer. We uh, build solutions for our customers and put in production. There are other teams where we don't have to use machine learning. So maybe you can give us a. Example of the product data scientists on your team in general in Meta. What if you want to break down how they spend their time? What percentage they are, for example, getting the data, writing SQL processes in using Python? How much time they spend, say, designing, A/B testing, analyzing results, and how much time they're talking to stakeholders or doing other type of product data science work? Sure, I can give a general view about how the data science、uh, looks like in Meta. I think in Meta, the data science is more focusing on to driving product impacts, meaning that we want to help the business to make the the right decision using data, and、hmm. that can be done through experimentation. Definitely, one one important part is experimentation. We want to understand whether a launch is making sense and whether it brings the value than harm. Right, so that is a very important aspects. The other part is we need to understand in terms of the the behavior and to help to optimize the products.、Uh, that kind of a user study or like in terms of a, a behavior study is very important for us and understand whether the system is working as expected, and if not, then we need to address that. And along the way, there are different skills which is needed, like what I described. Experimentation is one important part. SQL、mm-hmm. skill because with SQL then you can get the data and you can analyze things.、Right. Python because Python you can do more granular analysis、mm-hmm. and you may build some、uh, very simple models to understand、yeah. whether the behavior makes sense or not. And also there are other data scientists who is solving a problem very technical. Hence、mm-hmm. they need to have a better understanding on the machine learning itself. Then they do need to have the machine learning experience. So I think it's a very diversified experience sets happening across the science community. And regarding the skills specifically needed, it is usually by role, kind of by the role or the team you are in.、Mm. For example, I'll give one example. Like for my specific team, we are in the as ranking team. So we are a set of data scientists inside the as ranking and AI team, helping to advance the machine learning algorithms of the as performance as system. So from that perspective, have an understanding about machine learning is more like the product we look at, because in general we look at those models and we trying to understand whether those models perform well or not, and also how to what is the right direction we can help to move the model in a better shape.、Mm-hmm. There are a lot of state of the art developments of the team in like the engineering team. Pushing those like boundaries about the advancedness of the modeling technology, and on our side, we can use our expertise of the analytics expertise plus our understanding on the machine learning to help advance those together. So that's sort of one specific example for my team, where machine learning is sort of more needed in terms of to to make the impacts happening. 
Gotcha. So for example, machine learning engineers build a model and then you will look at the metrics and how the model performs, maybe both online and offline metrics, or do you only focusing on um, online metrics you collected through A-B testing? Do you also look at their model evaluation metrics using offline data or other historical um, data? I think it's about understanding what is the right opportunity we should be investing in. So because when we talk about machine learning, there we in general thinking about machine learning as a single kind of a single solution. But if you dive into there, there are a lot of different machine learning technologies. Each mm -hmm. of those has their pros and have their cons. And each machine learning approaches may consume more resources or generate better performance. What yeah. is the right balance? Uh, a lot of the decisions about and understanding what is the right technology we might want to be putting into the system has a lot of data around. And from that part, we can help the team to better prioritize and understand the right way to, to move. Mm. I think for a good machine learning engineer, you're also solving a business problem. So why don't the machine learning engineers also look at those metrics, understand the business? Isn't that more productive um, for them to also uh, do more investigation on the downstream impact of the model, especially I'm not thinking at Meta. If I work for a medium-sized or a smaller-sized company, I'm a machine learning engineer. How do you approach this? Should I, say, ask my manager to hire someone to help me, or should I dedicate some workflow to um, investigate this? Yeah, this is actually something I have been seeing and also I have been constantly thinking about in terms of what's the reason we don't have everyone like taking the kind of Venn diagram role, like where you need to have machine learning understanding, you need to do the analysis, and also you need to understand mm -hmm. the business. If you remember, probably 10 years ago, that was uh, when I started getting into the industry, there is a very, uh, very popular Venn diagram about this one, saying that in the center is where we want the data scientists to be. So the data scientists need to know the right machine learning alg algorithms. They need to know what is the business problem to solve. They need to have the analysis and the statistical skills to make that happen, right? But based on my understanding, like this Venn diagram view mostly happens or the data scientist in the center is mostly needed for like a small company. Like basically, there is only one person in the shop. So get, to get started, you do need to know everything. And that is sort of the, the size of the company, which makes the requirement different. But it's usually very hard to hire candidates or talents with all these three skills. Mm. With the data scientist kind of job booming, then it's very natural that there is a diversity or focus difference. For example, for like people who has more stronger machine learning experience, but less on the business understanding and stats part, and they have more system understanding to get things implemented and deployed, mm. that gradually uh, becomes a, more like a, a job function for machine learning engineering in a big company because there is a very strong need and a lot of people need to be uh, in that role. On the other side, for those which have strong business understanding, good stats, and some understanding on the machine learning, or the machine learning may not be deployable for production, but they know the machine learning concepts and build ad hoc models, well, that is also a big and big needs on those buckets. So yeah. in my opinion, that part becomes 
more popular as now in terms of the data scientist role as what you described. So that's in general my view about how the sort of the ideal role of a data scientist in the center, you know, mm-hmm. everything. But gradually there is a divergence in terms of the, because of the hiring constraints, because mm-hmm. of the role responsibility constraints, etc. Gradually you see more roles being very specifically written out, especially for yeah. companies. Gotcha. From your perspective, it could be just your own data point or from your other friends as managers in tech companies. Do you see there are more job openings for product data science? I don't think I have the right data points because if I were working in like recruiting sites, like then I may know that information. But from my understanding, both roles are very needed and it's more about what type of work people are doing, whether your mm. preference is more on developing algorithm, getting it deployed and, and making progress on ML side, or whether it is the primary interest in terms of, I want to uh, have the business making the right decision using data mm. and uh, I have the right business context and understanding analytic skills and other skills to make that happen. So I think that is the difference of what people's preference. Do you remember at what point your interests have shifted from building machine learning models to want to understand more about the business? Uh, I think the interest shift is never about a one-time change. It's kind of a gradually after I had experience on both sides, then I realized that, okay, I would like to pursue uh, more on one direction. And also it's about what product I like. Uh, I think in my past experience, regardless of the uh, developing models or launching models versus doing analysis, the product itself is more important for me. For example, mm. in my first job, like the reason I go there is because I bought a car like two months before I got <laughs> the interview and I overpaid by $2,000 yeah. for that one. I know, well, this is really helping people. So I went there. And yeah, so I think it's more about the product. But in terms of the, the journey, I make the change. There are, besides the personal interest and interest or passion side, another part I see about like five or around yeah, six or seven years ago, while I was working in Uber was that I see there is sort of standardization happening in terms of the tool we use in developing machine learning models, in terms of the platform we use to deploy machine learning models. And from there, like, I feel if I continue on the system side, well, that is one way to advance my knowledge, but mm. what, how about like, I observe and learn those platforms and learn those standardization tools. For example, like scikit-learn now is very uh, commonly known for small models, Spark for large size models and PyTorch for, for deep learning models. Once those are there, they are standardized, we can easy to leverage. Then on that part, I can leverage the power of advancement of machine learning while helping me to make decisions on the business side. So that's the reason mm. at that moment, I shifted over more on the business side to develop my understanding about the business, how analytics can drive the decision. So that is sort of a, a second force helping me to make the decision then. Gotcha. And now with your previous experience in machine learning engineering, this become a toolkit for you working in product data science. I think in some companies, machine learning engineers feel they are having this 
more prestige title, and they feel they're more technical. They generally get more respected in the kind of tech community. So when you move to product data science, do you feel this power dynamic shift when you talk to machine learning engineers? I probably I'll put an analogy here because I think it's very related. About like which one is more technical and which one is has more in terms of、uh, power in terms of the, in the company. So、yeah. the analogy I have is about the majors we had in college, or at least when I was、mm. in my college, the majors. There is a sort of a statement that mathematics department feels that they are superior than physics department, and the physics <laughs> department feels that they are more superior than chemistry chemistry department. And chemistry feels that they are more superior than biology, but that is not true.、Mm. It's more like which one is more like upstream than the other in terms、yeah. of the major purpose, right? You mathematics departments they have a lot of understanding on math, and some of the math is critical for the physics department to learn their foundations. But that doesn't mean that mathematics is in nature kind of more more important or more advanced than physics. It's just a different、right. in different fronts. So I would not <laughs> agree with the arguments that machine learning engineering is in terms of more prestigious. I think、yeah. this is a different role in terms of the different work we usually working on. And and while I was working on machine learning or analytics, personally, I don't feel the difference.、Uh, I'm feeling that I'm trying to create value for the、mm-hmm. company.、Yeah. If it is more on the building the model side, great, we'll do that. If it is more about Diving into the data to understand what's the direction we should go,、mm. then great. We will put on the sort of the、uh, data science hat. I think that's、yeah. a combination. Yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of people feel this unspoken hierarchy in the tech world. It seems like the more technical you get, the more respect you get. But at the end of the day, people work in. Uh, product adjacent roles or marketing sales—they all bring a lot of value to the company. And on the other note, I think people have this thought also because machine learning engineers typically get paid higher than data science generalists. In some of the companies, they get paid more than software engineers. So, from your perspective. Do you feel you got a pay cut moving to product data science? In terms of the different payments, I think this is usually related to what is the demand and the supply, right? So wherever there is a, a pay difference,、uh, there is a, there would be some、uh, higher demand、uh, than like、uh, the supply, right? So with the sort of、uh, machine learning booming in the past decades, then there is、mm-hmm. a strong needs coming, and in my opinion, that is coming. Both on the need to developing machine learning solutions, as well as the one who can use them to help make the best decision. So, I think there is there may be some of the difference, but I don't think the difference should make people feel that their career choice should be fully based on that. I think、mm. it's more about whether you are working on things which you are passionate about. For example,、yeah. if for for people like who is very curious about the business, if they think the the pay of MRE probably is higher, and then they just drop everything they have the passion about and focus on the ML or the system, the design part, that may not be their interest. 
And retrospectively, it's the same. Yeah. If you have the passion, you just go with that. Yeah. So let's talk about your projects at LinkedIn. So what are some challenging projects you worked on while you were there? Yeah, uh, I think there are a lot of different challenge projects. And uh, I probably pick one which is uh, very interesting about where I see that uh, the data can be used to inform like important business decisions and also helping mm. to generate a lot of our downward cascading effects. I'll probably give an example. So this is the mm. time where I was working in the sort of a growth team uh, of the LinkedIn data science, where growth is in general about how to get more visits in, term, in terms of metrics perspective, it's more user sessions, more page views, etc. So page views or user sessions is very important metrics across. Well, there's one uh, interesting experiments where the experiments were launched. The experiments was about making some UI, minor UI changes in terms of in terms of some buttons, not changing the color, as I remember previously mm. in one of the previous sessions you, you mentioned, like the previous episode, you mentioned uh, some changing color. This is not changing color. This is more like changing the frame of how the UI is surfaced up in a system. So it's mm. very backend and normal users should not uh, even notice that sometimes. Yeah. But when experiment was launched, the page view session, the page view drops by almost 50% on the site. So that was a crazy drop in terms of the metrics. And that one was a kind of a big surprise everyone has. So one important question mm -hmm. for us to know is what is happening on this part? Then through looking at the data, eventually we observe very interesting behavior is that those drop, it might be very, very, might be happening as expected because there are tons of scraper activities happening on the site at the moment or at that point. And if you change one back end frame, then yeah, how the bot works is using a specific locator, trying to understand where they should go for the next page. And then that mm -hmm. activity was shut down. And that was a very interesting observation and drive our uh, decision in terms of, okay, whether we should consider uh, joint work between the growth team with uh, the scraping team and how should we preventing this from happening and how can we better even use some experiments to preventing those scraping from happening. So yeah. I think that is one specific example about from a product sort of a data science part, you view the data with curiosity, you're trying to dive in there, understand what's happening and you find the relationships and then like this can use to to make decisions for later product changes. Yeah. So when we analyze A-B tests, when the outcome is not what we expected, we usually have a lot of uh, assumptions. We want to investigate it. So do you have a framework of how do you dive into the data to test your assumptions and then find the root cause of a problem? Sure. This is regarding like how we dive into the data to understand the problem. Uh, I think Usually the first step is to understand what has been changing uh, in terms of the experiments and also what is the product looks like. Uh, this is more like a context gathering, but this is very important because uh, if, if we don't have any intuitive understanding about the product, it's very hard for us to understand or identify what is the next step or what is the cause. 
So that's the reason mm. my, I think the first prerequisite is to have a good understanding on the product. For this uh, specific case is about how people visit the sites and uh, how people kind of navigate through the sites, any existing behaviors or studies already been done by others. So that is sort of the basic context uh, gathering. And the second part is to dive into the metrics. Usually in any experimentation platforms or kind of uh, A-B testing systems, uh, there are metrics for us to cut it in different ways, like different dimension and different uh, segments and see where the most strange thing happens. And for that specific case about the page view drop, it is happening on those with only one page view users. I think it's a little bit a long time ago, but that's my understanding. So that specific behavior is totally different from other normal users. So that's the reason like after we look at this part and we understand where the segments happens. So the third part or the third step is to connect the dots, like why this happens. And for me, it's a little bit natural because I worked on the risk side before I went to LinkedIn. So I understand there is fraudulent activities, which is very weird behaviors. And then I connected with the risk team, like over, uh, over the team. And then to see whether this is expected to be some fraudulent behavior. And then it was confirmed. So after that, a three step of exploration, then the insights can be done. So basically to recap, First one, you need to have a basic idea about how things work, about the product. Second, you want to dive into different dimensions where your intuition or whether any hypothesis-driven exploration would need it. The third one is to confirm with either other product team or confirm from through some experimentation to see whether this can happen again. So that is more like three steps I would in general recommend. Yeah. Previously, you also mentioned while you were at LinkedIn, you build a tool for other data scientists. Can you share more about that project? Sure. Yeah. For that part, it was a pretty fun sort of experience because the original motivation was that I really don't want to use pig, the language. And then like gradually I find that the only way for me to not use pig is to develop a, a, an approach or framework that others can also use. Then in that case, we all don't need to use big. So basically what I did over LinkedIn was that I developed a Scala Spark metrics foundation system for the data science team to use. Mm. So that when they're building the metrics or ETLs to power either production metrics or, or like ad hoc analysis metrics, uh, they will just use Spark and Scala language and things are well modularized. And this can avoid logical inconsistency and, and making the speed calculation faster. So that is sort of yeah. what I did over there. And now, as you see, like if I say that the origination of that part, you may, you may, you may feel like a little bit remote from that because pig is a language, uh, a pig the language existed, started getting popular in 10 years ago. So that was the first, mm. or first set of Hadoop languages, which was introduced in the industry. And there are some companies yeah. continue using that. LinkedIn was one of those. So that's the reason okay. why I joined LinkedIn in 2017. There are still a lot of data pipelines developing through PIG. Well, at that moment, the industry trend is shifting into Spark and Scala or, or like or other languages like Hive, Presto, and Spark. Mm. And personally, I feel the pain. I don't want to use PIG from that part. And 
my approach is that I want to develop a better framework so that others in the team do not have to be uh, writing peak code anymore. And then the approach I had was that I started a kind of initiative about building new data foundations using a different approach. And this approach is uh, based on Spark and Scala. Initially, there was a less kind of velocity on that part or attraction on that part, because surprisingly by that moment, people are still really want to use PIG, like in a team, because many are already using the language and people don't they don't like feel the make pain. changes. Yeah, why it cares to me. You like Spark, I like PIG, why we make the change? So then like through the way I identify there is a key problem, which is logic inconsistency, meaning that for PIG or other scripting languages, if you write code, like in a logic, let's say how I define this is active user. Hmm. And let's say this logic was developed by your team and my team trying to use that. I just copy your code over there, right? Copy your code into my code base. I get this calculation. But let's say after one year, your team changed the definition of what is active user. Then on my team, I'm not aware of that part. So mm. the logic inconsistency start to happen. And yeah. that is kind of observed the problem and the challenge at the moment. So then my solution is to using Scala and Spark by basically, it's more like software engineering design. You design the module mm. and then you have your component of logic being, being defined by your team and owned by your team. And on my side, I'm just calling that function. And that function performs action of defining what is active user. And in that case, everything is more consistent. So that is sort of yeah. the framework which was developed. And in terms of, yeah, and it was used well at the moment. And I think now most of the team is using Spark. They don't need to write pick anymore, which I'm very happy. Like after, like when I leave, I see like most of the people don't need to use pick anymore. I'm super happy about that part. Yeah. And this is an interesting project because it's not like other data science project where you use a lot of statistic analysis or build machine learning models. So basically your job is like a software engineer building tools to improve the productivity of data scientists work. And from my experience, I think this type of project is actually quite common. Usually nobody assigned this type of project to you. You identify a pain point and you take initiative, get your team's manager's permission on the time you can spend on the, and then build a tool. And then maybe you also need to evangelize this tool a little bit to sell it to a broader team, drive adoption. So because this project is not a typical data science project, do you feel it's more like a pet project or did it actually contribute to your career growth while you were at um, LinkedIn? That's a very good question. I think especially when you're talking about whether it touched on the career growth part, I think that's a, a very good question. It started as a pet project, I have to say, because at the beginning, like people are okay with using the existing solutions. What's the reason we have a new one? and mm. what's the benefits, right? So definitely it started as a pet projects, but when it's getting bigger, then gradually people see the benefits from there uh, on the speed, on the inconsistency, solution, etc. So then there is more in terms of momentum on this mm. initiative. 
then it's getting more like a mainstream projects. So that's kind of how the pet projects can change into the, the one of the important projects. And on the career growth part, in my opinion, the career growth is not in terms of only advancing on a specific skill sets. For example, it's not only like advancing on the analysis part. This yeah. is uh, where I see my skill sets growth in terms of how to initiate a more like horizontal collaboration or horizontal mm -hmm. projects. Because when I was working on this part, I engage with many people in the data org, like yeah. the infra org, the, the spark org, and the, the metrics foundation team org. Then I understand their concerns and their view about how the solution is and iterate on improving. So that is a unique skill set I did develop. The other one is along the process because it touches so many different analytics team. While we are trying to drive adoption, you need to consider different use cases. So over there, it helped me to broaden the view about how the metric system is developed across different teams and why they need it in this way and uh, how a customized solution could be helping them better. So I think through the experience or through driving the initiative, uh, there is a lot of skills being kind of improved or even level up like while I was working on that part. So that's the reason from a career growth perspective, uh, I do see that uh, has pretty big impacts on helping me to, uh, to, to grow my career. Yeah, I don't think this project was planned on your career path, but you identified this opportunity and you dive into it. And uh, I think from your manager's pers perspective, they saw your passion and, and also you demonstrated a lot of leadership skills. So I'm curious, you mentioned later on the project got more momentum. Was it like a organic growth or did you have some growth hacks for your own project? I think the growth hacks, growth hacks or tricks, there are several ones. One is that you want to advocate for your projects actively. For example, for that project, first I get my lens on managers alignments and, and also, and also eventually getting the analytics leads alignments in terms of this is the one important work we should be working on because of the challenges we're facing, like the metrics inconsistency problem. Mm -hmm. So getting alignments is definitely very important. And how to get that is kind of a combination of the data points and also art. By saying data point, meaning that we need to leverage the objective data showing why the speed is faster, why the design is better, and why the design mm -hmm. is aligned with all the other data leads or data tech leads. And by saying using art is that you want to surface that so these understand the importance. So that is yeah. a very important tip to get the momentum. Yeah. So yeah. basically you collected some baseline metrics and how your solution um, improved upon, and then you also have your manager alignment. And then did you go out to your other partner analytics team to give them demo schedule meetings? What was the launch like? Yeah. So regarding the launch, there is a lot of meetings uh, happening at the moment in terms of mm -hmm. on one side, I need to collect sort of feedback from a different, different team. The other one is that we want to make sure the, the launch is, or like the adoption is organic happening. We don't want this to be like more like a push. So there is a lot of support we have with, with other, other analytics teams. We have the kind of mm -hmm. presentation within each of their group meeting, and we help them to develop in terms of the setup, the basic framework, 
And then we recorded the training sessions in terms of how to get on board with the new platform or the new approach. And then eventually people at the beginning, like, yes, no, no one knows what it is. But then once you identify a few champions in each of the team, then when they see the benefits, they will champion for the new approach. Yeah. So I think the adoption is, is a very interesting way to, or it's kind of a team's efforts to pushing things through and getting an adoption. Yeah, sounds like a very interesting experience. I'm curious when you faced pushback from other team when they have some hesitation, what's your pitch to them or what's your strategy after the meeting? Yeah, uh, there were some pushbacks. And uh, for example, I think out of about 10 different teams, initially the earlier adopter may be like three or four, but we have this mostly organic happens and once we have a few champions in the team or other teams who show a success behavior or success in terms of the a success story about the, the use or adoption, then they are going to share the success. For example, I remember some team sharing that, okay, with this change, all the metrics calculation is getting 2x faster or 3x faster. And that was called out in the analytical updates. Then when the team which didn't adopt this at the first hand sees this, there is also peer pressure in terms of doing yeah. adoption. So I feel like this is more like you're trying to make it organic happen, but you want mm. to plant some seed in some early adopters to mm. make sure uh, those happens. Yeah. I love the story. So how important is this project in terms of making the case to promote you to a staff data scientist? So how this helped me to get into the next level, like uh, where mm -hmm. I was in the company, uh, I think this is uh, very important projects because through that I demonstrated in terms of a different set of leaderships involved. And uh, because of uh, my engagement in terms of uh, uh, designing this uh, uh, solution. So there is also a demonstration of my uh, sign of design approach or design skills. Uh, I think this is definitely helping because my general sense is that for promotion, it's usually that when you are at that level, then you're naturally being promoted. So when a person can start an initiative like this one, like basically across the different orgs and eventually getting adoption, uh, I think that uh, states the fact in terms of whether I was at the level by then. So. Yeah, if, if the question is about like what are the promotion criteria, I feel in general, that's how the promotion criteria is. Yeah. And so from a senior level to the, the staff level, what was the biggest difference? I feel like the title or the leveling by the, by the title may not speak too much in terms of a, a person's kind of a skills or in terms of the capacity. So from mm -hmm. that part, I may want to change it a little bit into, in terms of what do I see in terms of the, the people who can kind of performing as a kind of a senior or staff level, mm -hmm. because I feel like the role is only a, a title. Sometimes making a title change, there are a lot of things need to be happen, right? Whether we have the skill to get there is more important. So in general, I feel there are since for a data scientist to progress their career at the beginning, it is more about whether they can do an analysis and whether they can do the work on their own space, basically giving a problem. Yeah. Let's say, okay, this metrics is down. 
what's happening. Okay, mm -hmm. Let's understand the, the behavior change of this user sets. So this sort of a, more like a fixed problem sets in terms of for people to, to be able to do the analysis to understanding on those problems. When people growing in terms of their career, in general, they can make more connections between the problem they solve by itself toward the bigger problem or the problem of the team, of the organization, and or, or even a company. So it's usually about, first, whether you can solve the problem well. Second, whether you can solve a bigger problem well. And naturally, that is involved in terms of your skill improvements, in terms of both analytic skills improvements on solve the problem well, but also understanding on the context to broaden the influence, to communicate things well, to have the right product leadership, to be able to influence the, the right stakeholders. So I feel like from a career growth perspective, it's more about those several dimensions need to be advanced. Yeah. Yeah. And do you also transition from a staff data scientist to a manager when you were at LinkedIn? What was the process? What are some new skills you learned? Sure. The transition happens uh, quite straightforward because within the company, there was kind of, I think there is a specific manager transition program where if you express mm -hmm. your interest to transition, then things can happen like pretty organically. And there are training materials you need to take and to make that smooth. So from that part, I think it's uh, pretty straightforward. Well, I think it is mostly as like, I spent about three months to finish the transition, but it takes me mm -hmm. years to think about whether the transition makes sense or whether I want how to transition. Because yeah. as kind of more like an individual contributor, usually your focus is on making impacts from your perspective to influence on the technical fronts. And as a manager, the requirements is different. And also your expectation is different. You need to make sure the team is success. And the influence is not only delivered from mostly on yourself, but also through the team. Along the way, you also need to kind of mentor the team to make sure every team member grows so that they feel excited to be continue working in the space. So I think that's sort of the big difference of the IC or manager. And I think I spent a long time to think about what's my interest. And uh, eventually I feel, especially along the time I was doing the tech leading on a TR kind of in different places, I find that I find it very satisfying to see people grow and also to help people grow. So that's the reason eventually mm -hmm. I make decision to move on to the managerial role. So you've been thinking about it for uh, years. Were there some small experiments you've done to test whether you enjoy being a, a manager? Yeah, yes. It could be counted as a few small experiments. As a, for mm -hmm. example, in my first job at Trucar, by the last about half a year, I was managing one or two, I think, one, yeah, one or two DS in the space. So I sort of the playing the kind of manager role for those who just get into the company. And also like in, in LinkedIn, the first of, uh, one or two years, I was also kind of mentoring newcomers, like new team members, being a mentor and working with her in terms of how to grow. So uh, in terms of mm -hmm. small experiments, 
yeah, there are three sorrows for experience like that. And also, I think summer interns is a good uh, venue for people to experience that uh, transitions. And uh, yeah, that is definitely very helpful for me to understand what is uh, my strengths and what I like. And uh, that helps me with the final transition. Yeah. So now you have worked across so many tech companies, Shukar, Uber, LinkedIn, Meta. How do you compare your experiences across those companies? Yeah. So my experience in all the companies was that I feel they all provided me a different perspective in terms of for me to learn how the company works and how their culture is being different. So in general, my experience that I learned a lot from all of those uh, companies. And then the second question is about the culture part. Each company has their unique culture. I can share a bit and with some more details. For Chukar, the company's culture was transparency because that's naturally tied with their product in terms of they want to bring the pricing transparency to the car buying industry. So I see quite a few of the transparency behaviors in the company. And that was my first job. I was very amazed by how tech company bring the transparency comparing with not more traditional, but it's more like from my past experience, I, I never expect people have open seating. That was my first impression on transparency. And also they have the all hands, right? I think all the tech company has all hands, but that was my first job. So I was pretty amazed mm. by the culture of having a all hands to share information with sort of all the employees. That was my first impression and the first culture. The second part in Uber, I think there are different sort of value propositions like Uber for, for employees. One of them I feel like a, a very resonating is keep hustling. Uh, that was the culture. A hassle is more like basically you're trying to be like rush in a way. So hassle, the word itself has it's a like negative. a sense of urgency. Yeah, the sense of urgency, the sense of action, you need to move fast. Mm -hmm. So the word itself is a little bit negative, but back then when used for the company culture, it basically kind of suggests a sense of urgency and action fast. So that was very resonating. And in my first few works with colleagues, yes, there were war rooms and we were like, you know, fighting mode. But when we, well, at least when I think back, I think that's very rewarding. Like in such a short amount of time, like one or two weeks, we built a solution to do pricing optimization and we were seeing the numbers getting better. So I think that was like a, a very fascinating. And along the way, I met quite a few like great people and made quite a few friends. So I think that it was the culture. Like if I think back about my time in Uber, that was like what happening, what the culture I remember. Then in LinkedIn, I think one of the culture is about relationship matters. I don't know whether this is the right kind of the exact uh, framing, but I think it's uh, a yeah, relationship yeah. matters. Basically it encourage respectful in terms of communication and uh, interaction between colleagues. And I see there are activities like different hack days and where people from different orgs collaborating on projects and getting things sort of a proof of concept and also demonstrate that. Uh, I think along the way, you do build, build a lot of relationships. And also like we are working with a different fellow of this and also like different cross-function partners. I do see the emphasis on building relationships so that mm. the work is smoother. So that is one of the cultural value. Like if I reflect that one is a very important one. 
And for, for Meta, I think there are two things I want to highlight. One is to make impact or make long-term impact. Mm. So uh, this part is very resonating because a lot of time when we're working on projects, sometimes it's possible or very easy sometimes for us to miss what is the big picture. What is the thing that we're trying to uh, make an influence on? What decisions are we trying to make? And like without knowing or with, if we're missing the big picture, then it's very likely that our work is delivered, but the impact was not landed. So I think by having a folks like making impact or making long-term impact, that is a great cultural value to always keep us aware of the right thing to working on and to make the final delivery on that part. The second cultural value is, which I really resonate is be direct but respect your colleague. So be direct and respect your colleague. That is sort of the one culture value. I think that is very important because uh, a lot of time when we talk, there are things, there are times when conflict happens. Uh, it's not that it's not personal, but it's maybe about the way we think about the problem is different. That's most of the yeah. case. And if we being direct to sharing our thoughts, about why we build the problem in this way transparently, mm. then that is very easy way to solve the discrepancy and helping to drive uh, clear alignments. So that's, that's one of the value I see very important to make uh, operate in a very efficient way. Wherever discrepancy happens, people sitting in a room together, we respect each other, but we share our thoughts about why we think it is in this way. Usually there is some commonality or some context difference we had, and then we get things resolved. So that is a very important value. Yeah. So you have been in industry for 10 years. If you want to compare the skill set needed for a data science role five years ago versus today, what would be the difference? For example, it could be from a tech stack perspective, tools you use, or modeling, statistical analysis skills perspective? I think if we reflect like several years ago versus now, I think there is a clear change on the industry in terms of there is more maturity in terms of tool. So for example, I started in the like 2013, Spark does not have their 1.0 version, but now like it's a 3.x mm. versions. And it's mature. Yeah. The company is valued at like billions, I think hundreds of billions of dollars. So there is a convergence in terms of the tools. So my recommendations on the technical side is that understand those tools well. Uh, a few tools which is important, like from machine learning perspective, there is a common libraries like PyTorch for deep learning and Spark for big data handling and also Pandas mm -hmm. for more like kind of on your laptop, you can play around with the algorithms. So those sort of things is uh, secular, sorry. Pandas is for data, data manipulation. So those are like tech tools and also SQL for analysis purpose. I think SQL is a, a great language existing for decades, but it's still very useful. Mm -hmm. And I think that yeah. one is very important for people to know uh, if you want to get into the uh, data science industry. So that is on the tool side, like five years ago, you may, or 10 years ago, you may still need to getting hand down to writing your machine learning library or like machine learning solution. 
Now, most of time, you just need to call the call the right function, understand what is the right, right. algorithm to use, and apply those. So I think having a broader understanding、yeah. of the system is more important. The second one is that with the technology getting more converged, it's more important to get more closer to the business contact to understand what is the problem of the the team or the company trying to address, so that your value can be maximized. I think that part is、uh, critical and even getting more critical because like with a lot of tools, very advanced. What's the unique value? And the data science unique value is a combination of the business insights, the the business problem, and our skills to to kind of manipulate and play around with the data to get the right insights. So we need to have those combination together to deliver the value. So that's the reason I feel the second important is the business context part.、Hmm. And now reflect. Kind of back on your career, do you remember what was the thing you enjoyed the most working as a machine learning engineer, and what was the biggest frustration there? And compared to, you know, general data scientist role or product data science, what is again the fun part and then the frustration? Okay, so on the MLE type of work, the the fun part is that yes, I got this algorithm working in the system. It solved the problem. That is、uh, definitely the finest part. And、mm. for some specific, for for one of the example was that if none of the existing ML solutions work on the system, but the one you developed works, then that is most kind of happiest time or, or finest time as our MLE. And、yeah. in terms of the biggest frustration, well, on the other side is that. <laughs> that one is you develop the solution, but then the solution is no no longer in need. No, <laughs> I think that that、oh. could be a biggest frustration. <laughs> Personally, I haven't gone through that, but I do see people around、mm-hmm. having that situation, and yeah, yeah. that that is the biggest frustration I see for for MLE type of work. Yeah.、Gotcha. So what about for yourself? For myself, don't remember there is a big frustration in terms of developing、mm-hmm. the algorithms. Maybe a period of time of frustration was that, like, the algorithms is developed. It was tested to be work, but in reality there is some problem, and that was usually because of the training data is different from the data which is in reality.、Mm-hmm. But eventually those things will be be handled. So I think that maybe counted as one frustration. Oh, I got the one. The 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 frustration. One frustration is about. Like you develop the system, you thought it is de- deployed, but because、mm-hmm. of the compatibility, you need to rewrite the code, or you need to <laughs> making it compatible with what it is serving.、Yeah. So that part you can count it as the、uh, frustration because that's not something、mm-hmm. uh, definitely not something we enjoy, but we need to do that to make it happen. Yeah. yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. What about the product data science part? Yeah. On the product data science part, I think the fun part is about when you identify something which others didn't expect and you don't even expect. This is like the eureka moments that you see something that、yeah. because you look into the data, you have the right understanding, you found it, and then this is important、uh, for people to make decision and maybe the whole strategy need to be changed. So、yeah. that is、uh, very fun and、uh, very enjoyable. 
in terms of the frustration on the other side, is more like if you do a lot of work, but eventually the understanding is not aligned with the business needs and it's not making the impacts. So that's the reason like my, my, my comments in terms of the making impacts is very important. We need always mm. to keeping that in terms of in mind so that that frustration is not happening. And sometimes this is less about uh, the work or you didn't get the context. Uh, it's possible that the business change in terms of focus. Mm. So there were situations where we did a lot of uh, experimentation, understanding, suddenly the business changed. One example was that when we working over, we were like trying to experiment and optimize the promotion spending like in, in China markets, but suddenly Uber China and DD merged. There is no need. <laughs> like continue doing experimentation or the understanding may not be needed at that moment. Mm. So that is definitely causing some of the frustration by that moment. So now with a lot of new papers and new tools coming out every day, especially with large language models, how do you learn new skills and how do you prioritize what skills you should learn? I think the way I learn new skills is in general through reading, kind of reading either the, the blogs or, or books or mm -hmm. the online learning courses. And uh, for me, this is pretty diverse, the sort of the channel I leverage. For example, in general, Coursera and LinkedIn Learning, I think those are great resources where most of our contents yeah. are free and I have tons of certificate from <laughs> both of the platform. And also tech blogs. Now, like many of the companies, they have teams sharing their kind of solutions and their unique problems and how they tackle that. Uh, so that is a great learning. And I, in general, find reading those tech blogs very enjoyable. And mm. Sometimes if you have very interest on the kind of specific technology, there was one time I have interest, I look for the, the published paper, but in general, I find the kind of, unless this is very interesting to you, usually like reading paper, it takes much longer time to absorb the, the yeah. knowledge than reading other like, through other channels, like learning courses or reading blog. So that's kind of in general, yeah. how I learn in terms of different new things. In terms of how to prioritize those, from my perspective, I prioritize it on one side, it's about whether there is some relationship to what I'm working on. Because if there is a proximity of what my team is working or what the, the, my org is working on, then learning those new knowledges can help me in terms of guide the team making better decisions. So that is one important prioritization. The other one is just my general interest. Because personally, like in my past, like a career, I did feel like a machine learning and also my, and also I, in general, finding reading those kind of new technologies, very interesting. We learn something new and that learning or the happiness coming from learning is very hard to be replaced by other things. So, so that's how I prioritize. One is by the proximity mm. to my work. The other one is just general interest. Yeah. So. What are some mistakes you have made in your career? Yeah, there is, yeah, I can share one of the like mistakes or like one mm -hmm. of the things or lessons I learned one time. That was the, the first time I, I joined Uber because before I joined Uber, my first company is in a size of 200 people, 300 people scale. 
So usually by that moment, the context gathering or context gathering is kind of is not that critical, is or it's not that time consuming. So I usually get the context fast, and then once you align with a few folks, then you know the problem solved. But when I move into Uber, I remember the first one month, I read a lot of things, and I developed a very interesting sort of attribution model to understand the long-term impact of the promotion to the user. That's what I sort of come up with the idea by myself. I thought I was very proud because, yeah, that's a new idea I come out. Yeah. And that could be helpful, right? But then when I share this with others, I don't see it's resonating. And also when I share with my manager, I feel like this one seems like doesn't have too much echo from the room. So that's when I, I talk with my manager in terms of what is going on in terms of uh, I have the great analysis, the great algorithm to, to do this attribution, and this helps us to understand this. But then my manager shared with me a few questions, which I feel it's, uh, it's very helpful for my career. The first one is who asked for, like, basically, who is the stakeholder in terms of doing yeah. this, this analysis or like, developing this framework? Mm how this is going to help the team at the moments and who is going to act based on the, the insights mm. or the methods they developed. Uh, I find that I cannot answer those questions. I thought mm. like through some exploration, through developing a, a methods that you have a very exciting finding that everyone will just come along, but that is not the case because priorities uh, is basically the team has a team's priority. In a very small company, maybe your motivation can directly change the team's priority. But in a bigger organization, there is a bigger issue or bigger challenges for the team to tackle. And by then, it was how to optimize the promotion spending rather than the other things. So yeah. that's kind of the lesson I learned. And I think that's very helpful for me in my future endeavor. Because then I know like getting alignments on the priority and the finding solution to address that rather than randomly thinking about a solution, uh, that one is very important. Yeah, those are three very important questions. Uh, so how do you see your career grow in the future? Uh, I think uh, career growth is a very challenging topic and it's very hard for me to answer. So I remember like starting 10 years ago, I ha have habits in terms of writing new year resolution. And every year I write something about what I thought my career would be look like. And almost none of those turns out to be true the next year. I remember yeah. like in 2015, where I was writing, okay, I want to become kind of grow higher and higher in my first company. The next year I was in Uber. <laughs> and uh, the year I was in Uber, I was writing, okay, I do want to develop this expertise to become the industry kind of experts in the fraud detection. Yeah. Uh, the next year, like I, I move over to LinkedIn learning. So <laughs> it, it's quite different. And also one time I was writing, I want to become the, the tech lead for the whole team, but then I become a manager. So, I mean, there are a lot of uncertainties on yeah. the career, but in general, what I find is uh, very important is that I do want to learn some skills and to learn skills and to refine on skills so that the career growth is not linear. So. For example, I want to improve my, my kind of ML skills, but that is one part of the career growth. 
I want to helping my team better in terms of become even more effective manager. That is also one 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 skills. And the other one is I want to bring a bigger influence to the organization to make sure that not only my immediate team is the decision is driven by 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 data making the right decision, but also the broader organization. I think those are the kind of skills and the directions I in general want to move toward. So yeah. I'll count that as the career growth in terms of what I'm trying to looking for. Yeah. And what do you think about the future for data scientists work? I was sharing my subjective view and it is likely to be wrong, but we'll see in the future. But in my opinion, like the, yes, the tool, like with generative AI, the convergence of machine learning platform, those parts will definitely like bring a lot of uh, kind of changes. And I think convenience in terms of to building models, to getting the insights. But in my opinion, the, the needs to using data to make better decisions, that one is always there. And that one is mm. getting even more important with, with like the, the big data era with different company trying to get an edge to improve and with customization in terms of services we are demanding. So with a trend of, of those, those parts, I think there is a, there will be continuous stronger needs using data to get decision makings. And along with like experiments, analysis, all the things associated with that. So from that perspective, I'm pretty positive in terms of on the, on the area about data science, machine learning, or in terms or in general data overall. I think data is overall is playing a growing importance on the business side. And I think all the roles we, did, we discussed in, in the show is going mm. to grow. Yeah. yeah. And with a lot of automated analytics tools, do you feel some part of data science work is going to be automated or maybe some data scientists in certain department will be automated? What's your take on that? Yeah, I think we will definitely using those tools a lot. And definitely that will help in terms of our productivity. And, but I think the tool is helping us in terms of getting the insights, not in terms of replacing us. The unique part of data scientists is in terms of the combination of the business context and the skills, like stat mm-hmm. skills and machine learning skills. And it's only when those things combine, then the, the right decision can be made. So this also reminded me about an example 10 years ago while we were doing an interview. I remember seeing one candidates writing out about a hundred lines of code to get the linear regression, kind of mm. write out the code to get a linear regression, like backward propagation and the, the calculation, etc. And that takes 200 lines of code. But the same thing can be done if you use second learn dot linear model dot yeah. logistic regression or something. So, yeah. I mean, that will be the change. You don't need to write those code to get things mm-hmm. work. You need to know what is the right thing to make things work. Yeah. But it's more about with the right tool, what is the decision or insights we uncover and then what we are going to do on that. So now as the manager, in terms of hiring, what are the most important skills you're looking for? Yeah. First, I need to go to general because my team is only a specific part of the, the data yeah. science, right? 
So in general, if you're looking at the kind of job descriptions or is if per my experience, I think there are in general three things we we're looking for. One is the product leadership. So basically, if equipped with the data insights and data, whether you can drive product changes, that is one important part. A second one is definitely analytics and stats, right? That's sort of a hardcore uh, data science skills people need to be equipped with. The third one, very important, communication. So with the right insights, with the understanding on how the product should be changing, like whether you have the right communication skills to make things happen. So that is the three important skills I think all the data scientists uh, would be uh, best equipped with. And uh, yeah, and then the rest of skills is for different team, different roles. So that part, I will not spend too much time to talk about. Gotcha. Before we wrap up, are there something else you'd like to share with the audience? Do you have a blog? Where can people find you online? Sure. Yeah. Thanks, Daliana, for running the show. And for me, like I, people can, if you have interest into following some of my sharings, you can come to LinkedIn. I regularly writing some of the posts on LinkedIn, so people can see over there. And if I would like to share some of the closing closing words for the audiences, I think a lot of the topics in this show is about career growth and which role difference in terms of how to get into the role and how to developing around role, etc. I think it's very important for us to keep in mind in terms of there are two things in general. I think it's very helping to, to everyone in terms of a career. The first one is a genuine passion and interest because only when you're working on things or areas that you feel passionate about and you have interest about, then you will not feel regret thinking back that uh, you are taking this, taking this journey. The second part is keep on learning. I think a lot of the industry or a lot of things would change five years from now. Actually, if we look back about the machine learning area, the data science area, many things were, were changed in the past decades. So keep on learning. That is the way to keep us always being sharp in terms of along with the industry. And if what the area you are in is your passion and interest, you keep on learning, I think the natural career growth will be there. Yeah, I think that's, that's my sharing. Thank you so much, Pen, for coming to the podcast and um, looking forward to see uh, the future of your career. I'm sure it will be very exciting. Great. Thank you so much, Diana. It's uh, mm, great you. chatting with you. Yeah.